As we dive into lesson two, you can open your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter two. Uh, we will continue to explore the incredible attributes and success of one man, the cupbearer of the king of Persia. His name was Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was not a bridge burner, but he excelled in bridge building. Instead of leaving paths of destruction behind him, he was willing to tackle the path of destruction in front of him. We found out last week that God called him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem as a cupbearer to a foreign king that held him captive. He would have to get permission from that king to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that the king was instrumental of tearing down. Think about that for a minute. Because of this, Nehemiah rises out of the pages of Israel's history to help teach us what we need to build up God's kingdom in a world that is constantly trying to tear it down. It doesn't matter how bad the world tries to tear down the walls of the church, the kingdom of God, all these attributes, all these things that the, that the world hates. God has given us the responsibility to rebuild those walls when they get tore down. Somebody's got to stand up for the walls. Someone's got to stand up for heaven. Somebody's got to stand up for the kingdom of God. Now, I know when it comes to Nehemiah, many people may say or may allude to that he was simply the cupbearer to the king. And so that gave him access to greatness. That's why he rose to greatness and that he worked in the king's court and he had access to all the resources a man could ask for. But I will tell you negative. That is not how that happened. Because you must understand where Nehemiah was. He was a slave. He was a captive citizen to Persia. Being held outside of his will, removed out of his homeland, away from the city of Jerusalem, over a thousand miles away from Israel in a place called Persia. Now that's over a thousand miles away. And that's not just car miles, that's on a camel miles. A thousand miles, either on foot or on camel, is how he had to get there. But I think there's two distinct things that can bring to light why Nehemiah was able to do this. Now, we're going to get into a lot of things this evening, but no matter what circumstance comes in your life, I believe there's two things that you have control of every single day. And you have control over it, and these will give you the success that you need in your life if you want to help build the kingdom of God. The first thing Nehemiah had that he had control over that nobody could take from him was his integrity. First Chronicles 29, 17 in the NLT version says, says this, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives. He was a slave, but yet he served with good motives. He was being held outside of his will. He did not want to be there. But yet God put him in a place where he had to serve with a pure heart. Yeah. 
Integrity matters because you put yourself in his sandals and you'll understand that showing integrity had to be paramount to what he was needing to do in his life every single day. If you want to know how to rise from the ashes of defeat, you must have integrity in your life. The Bible says this in Psalms 41 and 11, you know that you are pleased with me. I know that you are pleased with me, for my testimony does not triumph over me. My enemy does not triumph over me because of my integrity. You hold me and set me in your presence forever. When you are willing to exhibit integrity in your life, no matter the circumstance, no matter the adversity, the Bible says that God will see that. He will rejoice in it. He will hide you in his presence. He will hide you in his will. The second thing that he had control over that no one could ever take from him was his relationship with God. If your spirit is bad in adverse situations, your relationship with God and your purpose will ultimately be affected. God was able to use Nehemiah because he was in alignment with God's purpose. In the middle of captivity, he was in alignment with God's purpose. Nehemiah made the right decisions that gained favor with the king. I am almost certain that if Nehemiah would not have been in alignment, God already had in place another man or another woman that would take his place. I believe that we must, to be able to be in the will of God and be in the alignment of God, and we're going to get to where we're going in just a minute, I want you to know that you have to be in alignment with what God wants to do in your life despite the circumstances that are around you, no matter what the enemy is doing to you, no matter the storm that is in your life. You stay in alignment, and God will bring you out. He will give you purpose, and you will rise from the ashes. I promise you. Nehemiah had a very impressive resume. His resume would include things like this. He was a cupbearer to the king for many years. That really, if you understand the cupbearer, was a really a high-pressure job. It offered great job security as long as no one poisoned the king. <laughs> if someone poisoned the king, off with your head. Very high stress. He was loyal and one of the most trusted servants in the king's court. He served the court with integrity. His assignment, this assignment, however, allowed Nehemiah to become connected with the power brokers of Persia, which would prove very helpful to him later. Next time you feel like life is being unfair and you're being forced to serve or work or do things that may be out of your character or things that you do not take care that you necessarily don't care about take the time in that moment and look around and see who and what God is trying to connect you to because in the king's court as a servant God put every man and woman in place that Nehemiah would need to be able to rebuild these walls in the future when you are in alignment even in adverse situations God will always supply the need in the purpose that he has placed in your life now Nehemiah here we go did not only rely on his resume when it came time to build the walls he got out some tools that so so he could handle the tasks that are ahead of him tonight as we go into Nehemiah chapter 2 we're going to break it down in half. We're going to go verses 1 through 10. We'll see where we're at after that. 
If we have time, I'll go into verses 11 through 20. 1 through 10, we're going to find five things, five tools in his toolbox that he used. 1 through 10, five tools. 11 through 20, five tasks that he, he tackled with those tools. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how to handle a tough job. Anybody got a tough job? Hello? People, somebody just raised their hand and they're retired. <laughs> but I know who they live with, so I get it. <laughs> I get it. She yelled at me on a little while ago, I'm going to just tell you. I love Sister Holiday, big mama. Get in trouble. If there's one thing I can relate to as we move forward in this lesson, is I understand the importance of having the right tool for the right job. Uh, my life and how I was raised up, my dad taught me how to be a builder and a fixer of things. And I've understand in my life that if you're going to get anything done, you've got to have the right tool. I can almost guarantee you, if I go to do a job, Brother Randy, and I come to your house to do a job, and I think about it all night, well, all I'm going to need, and I load my truck up, when I get to that job, the very first tool I need is the one I don't have. It will never fail. I've got to bring my trailer every time. If you're going to do anything great, you've got to have the right tool for the job. In Nehemiah, he had plenty of tools. He had the right tools to get the job done, and he pulled them out one by one just as he needed them to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Let's go to verse chapter 1. Verse 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Nehemiah, it says, And it came to pass, if you remember last week, God gave Nehemiah a call, opening verse of chapter 2, and it came to pass. That came to pass was about four months between the time God called him and this very moment. There had been a season of waiting after God had given Nehemiah his burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The first tool you will always need if you're going to go and do what God needs you to do, you have to learn how to wait. He had to wait for the right moment to approach the king. One must not walk in the presence of a king haphazardly. A way has to be made to walk into the presence of a king. If you were serving a king of Persia, you didn't just roll up on the man. There had to be a moment prepared. In fact, watch this, in the kingdom of God, it's very hard to just rush up into the presence of God. How do you get into the presence of God? You enter into his gates with, and his courts with, when that happens, then you have access. In fact, in the kingdom of God, you don't even have access to the to the property of God unless you're willing to give thanks and praise. So Nehemiah had to wait for the moment to be able to approach the king. And we find out very early in his story that Nehemiah was a man of action. And when he prayed, it was natural for him to ask God to provide for something right now uh, immediately for an opportunity for the king. Matter of fact, if you look at the closing verses of chapter 1, the very last thing that took place there, he says this, For I pray thee, thy servant this day, 
this day. He wanted in that very moment that you spoke about last, Sunday, uh, last Wednesday, Pastor, Nehemiah wanted to go that very day and talk to the king. God gave me a word, I'm going to the king right now, but God says, no, I need to put you in a season of, season of waiting before you can enter into the presence of the king. He had to wait patiently on the Lord for an answer, just as we are urged to do in Hebrews 6 and 12, where it says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise, waiting will allow you to inherit the promise. We learned last week that Nehemiah could weep and pray. However, tonight we learn that there are times when you must also wait and pray. Have you ever needed an answer from God? Have you ever needed God to answer a prayer? Have you ever had to wait for that answer? Because tonight we find out in Nehemiah's journal, nothing was entered for four months because nothing happened. But be encouraged. Because you're, you're not wasting time when you're in a waiting time. Waiting is the hallway that will help you reach the door of your opportunity. If you listen to any architect, they will tell you that a hallway is really just a waste of space in any building. However, when it, it, they are mandatory, they will provide you the only access to obtain your planned promises. I want you to know that when you are waiting, you may be in a hallway. Hallways can be drab. They can be skinny. They can be cramped. They can be dark. But if you will go through the process of waiting and you are depending on God and you wait on God, on the other end of that hallway, there's going to be a door that you're going to open. Sometimes God gives you a time of waiting because you need to reflect on what you need to finish the job. In his waiting, in Nehemiah's waiting, he was preparing and planning on what to say and do when the opportunity came to plead his cause. It's in the waiting. It's in that still, small voice is when you will hear what God trying to say to you. In Isaiah 10 and 31, it says that we must wait before we get renewed in strength. We must wait before we mount up on eagles' wings. We must wait before we can run and not be weary. We must wait before we walk and not faint. Waiting is the key to getting what you want from God. Pentecost, that we like to preach about quite often, was a result of waiting. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 that 500 heard the commandment of Jesus to go to the Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Lord. Acts 1 and 15 says only 120 were willing to wait for this promise. They were only 120 was willing to wait on the promises of God. I want to tell somebody tonight in your waiting, don't settle for a secondhand blessing when waiting would have got you direct access to your miracle. Sometimes waiting can be the best part of what God is trying to do. It's in the waiting God gives revelation. It's in the waiting that God will give you instruction. The second tool is trusting. The second tool he fished out of his toolbox was called trusting. If you go to verses 2 and 3, it says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is, this is nothing else but the sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad 
when the city and the place of my father's sepulchers lie waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Nehemiah was sad what we heard. And this word is used three times to describe how he looked in this very moment in the presence of the king. The king asked him a question to find out why Nehemiah was not his same old self. And Nehemiah panicked in the moment because Artaxerxes asked him this question because he knew the king only wanted happy people around him. True. (laughs) Verse 2, Nehemiah says that he was so afraid, which could literally be translated, a terrible fear came over me. There's reasons why Nehemiah was afraid. Because he knew that he was expected to be perfectly content just to be in the presence of the king. In those days, if you was in the presence of the king and you were not happy and you was sad and being melancholy and, and you was not excited and, and happy, you could literally be executed for reigning on the king's parade. We may new, have a new decree for our church. Don't come in here sad, bringing everybody down. Don't come raining on our parade. Just kidding. The second reason he was afraid, that he had to trust God, it was he was about to ask the king of the Persian Empire to reverse a written policy that he had made several years earlier about Jerusalem's reconstruction. He had to be happy in the presence of the king. And the king noticed he was sad and questioned him, why are you sad? He was sad and he was frightened and he was terrified because he was fixing to have to ask the king, will you please reverse the order that you did in Ezra 4 and 21? Because Artaxerxes says this, now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order imagine that being you God had given you a purpose he had given you a call you was tormented you was perplexed you'd been waiting for four months for the opportunity you was in the presence of the king and he put you in check why are you sad cold flush because number one you don't you're not upset in the presence of the king and number two you was fixing to have to ask the man to reverse a decree Nehemiah knew that it would take the power of God to get Artaxerxes to change his mind. I think we all would have been a little apprehensive to be in such a position, but Nehemiah had to trust God in the process. Matthew 6 and 25 says this about our anxiety and not being willing to trust. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Be anxious for nothing, is what one translation says. What ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body or what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. We cannot let the facts fight against our faith. We must understand to trust God. If God puts you in a situation, if God has put you in a place, if you're in a hallway, if you're in a storm, you're in a dark season, God has a plan for your life. It don't matter what the facts say. I know he couldn't be upset around the king. I know he is fixing to ask the king to reverse an order. But the fact is this, God put you there for a reason. So you must learn to trust God. There comes a point 
when we have to take what God has placed in our hearts and place our faith securely over the facts that surround us. And fortunately for Nehemiah, his faith was greater than his fear. He did the right thing because he believed in the promises of God. And notice what happens in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Then he said, I was so afraid. But then he says this, and I said to the king. Fear struck him, but it did not paralyze him. When many people would have locked up and ran away, Nehemiah said, I was born for this purpose. And he began to open his mouth. I said, he knew it didn't look good. This may not end well, but if God put me in the presence of the king for a purpose, I'm going to open my mouth and tell him what I need. Months of prayer had prepared him for these crucial moments and minutes of decision. Those four months was on a reason. He was waiting and he was learning to trust God because courage filled him in the moment when he realized it was no longer possible to hide his grief. Then using wisdom, he affirms his boss by saying, let the king live forever. He began to praise that king. The king put him in check. He got a cold flush. Then he began to say, <laughs> then he began to say let the king live forever. He explains why he was sad in verse 3. He said, why should, my countenance be, why should not my countenance be sad when the city and the place of my father's sepulchers lie waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Basically, he was just saying, why shouldn't I be sad? The place that I long for, the place where my fathers and forefathers are laid to rest, lies in waste and the gates thereof are consumed and fire. You notice that Nehemiah never mentions the name of the city. Jerusalem's history of independence may have turned the king's thoughts toward questions of politics and national security. Instead of going political, he chose a personal route that usually was usually the better choice. What Nehemiah did say is, I want to honor the burial place of my fathers. This made a lot of sense to the king because the Persians honored their dead as well. Why do he say that? Because in your moments of waiting, you're building a relationship. You're praying. You're getting wisdom from God. You're trusting God. And in those moments of waiting that you think you're wasting, maybe God's trying to tell you what to say. Because when the king asked why he was sad, Nehemiah had an answer. If God puts you in a place for any particular reason... Be ready for the answer that may be called so you, that you can do what God has asked you to do. Nehemiah's fear could have led him to be timid. Instead, he used the tool of trusting God very effectively. In verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah revisits another well-used tool called pray. In verse 4, begins with a direct question from the king. For what dost thou make a request? Or what do you want, Nehemiah, with your request? Before answering the king of Persia, Nehemiah needed to speak briefly with the king of heaven. I love this part because it says this. The text says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. The king asked a question. And then Nehemiah prayed before he answered. This is quite possibly the shortest prayer in the history of the Bible. It was the original instant messaging system in that very moment. Because you didn't have much time. 
And under his breath, he said, God, you set me up for such a time as this. <laughs> Put the words to my mouth. Let your wisdom begin to flow. And in a moment, in a moment, Nehemiah began to speak all the requests that he needed before the king. This emergency prayer was backed up by four months of fasting and intercession. These prayers doesn't have to be long, and they don't even have to be audible. We need to make good use of these chance moments to send up these popcorn prayers to God. You know what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that we should pray without ceasing? It's okay that you have your moment with prayer and devotion time in the morning, but you know what he was saying in 1 Thessalonians? We must pray continually. We must be, pray continually throughout the day. We must pray when things ain't going well. We must pray when we got a decision to make. We got to pray before we make a deal. We got to pray before we make phone calls. We got to pray before you go by that golf club your wife don't know about. But you got to pray. There's times you got to pray quick and you got to pray fast and you got to ask God to help you because that's going to get you to where you need to go. Never answer without prayer. And the next tool is planning. We see in verses 5 and 8, Nehemiah had lifted his heart to God. Now we, he must open his mouth to the king. He practiced both dependent praying and deliberate prayer uh, planning. And this is good for us to hear because some people think that all you have to do is pray to make it in the kingdom of God. We would not have gotten this far, Pastor, in this construction process with just prayer. We've done some praying, though. <laughs> a lot of other people just depend on planning. You can plan all you want to, but if your planning doesn't have prayer, it shouldn't be either or. But we must live a life where it's both and. Prayer and planning. We are called to pray and plan, to worship and work, and to make requests and lay claim to what God has promised. And you will understand this when you begin to see how Nehemiah begins to answer the king. When you get ready to answer, and when God gives you a purpose, and when you begin to pray, never pray amiss. You get specific with your prayers. If it would have been you in Nehemiah's shoes, God, how are we going to re rebuild the walls? How am I going to get there? What am I going to use? Who's going to be there? you got to get detailed in those prayers. You just can't say, God, help me build a wall. You can build a wall anywhere. Where do I need to go to build the wall? How are we going to get the wall built? you got to be specific on how you pray. In verse 6, he began to relate to the king. He anticipated the question related in verse 6, and it says this. And the king said unto me, and the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? Nehemiah gave him an answer and gave him a set time. He already knew how long it was going to take for him to leave Persia, go to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, and be back. He got that in that season of prayer. He got that in that season of four months waiting. That's where he got the answers. In verse 7, he knew that it was going to be a dangerous journey by asking letters on the king's stationery that he would give him safe passage through different territories that he came across. How am I going to get there, God? i got to go through all the enemies of Israel to get to where I need to go. God had already instructed him, you get letters from the king. 
It was detailed. This guy had his stuff together. He knew what to say. And the king did it. Watch this. I love this part in verse 8. In a letter to As, Asaph. Well, watch out. The keeper of the king's forest. I need a letter to that guy. It wasn't a compound word. It was supposed to be one word. <laughs> and I hesitated. <laughs> I promise. Good, I got 10 more minutes. I'm so thankful. <laughs> he asked permission to get wood from the king's forest. Now, this wasn't just any forest. It wasn't like these woods right here. This forest was orchards, the most beautiful trees in the kingdom. And this man just asked the king of Persia, and by the way, king, on my way through, can I have a letter to go to the keeper of your forest? Because I'm going to need some wood to rebuild the gates. <laughs> And the king did it. Because when you begin to move in authority, and you really trust God for what he asked you to do, look, listen, if he tells you to go teach a Bible study, if he tells you to go witness, he tells you to go make a difference in the kingdom around you and in this world around you, he's going to supply you with everything that you need. You're going to get resources from places you didn't even know you could get resources. You're going to get grants from places you didn't even think you could get grants. You're going to get money and everything that you need because if God put it in order in your life, you're going to get it. There was three things that Nehemiah asked for. And he received the three things from the king. He got permission, he got protection, and he got provisions. All because he was willing to trust and pray and wait on what God wanted to do in his life. If you're willing to put all your trust in God and do the things that Nehemiah is wanting to do, there is nothing that God will not withhold from your hand. There's no endeavor that you can do, no business deal, no, no spiritual insight that God will not give you if you're willing to trust and wait on Him. And because of that, he was willing to do those four things. Listen to this. We may not get much further than this. If you will wait, trust, pray, and plan. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 and 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that works in you. God will give you whatever you need. If you're willing to do, pay the price, if you're willing to say, God, here I am. You spoke to me. You've given me a vision. You've given me a purpose. And God, now I need you. And you give it all to him. You may be in the court of a king that's a tyrant. But God says, I will take care of you. And he will take a tyrant king and change his heart 
And that king will give you the best he has to go rebuild a wall and a gate that he shut down years before. What is God waiting to do in your life right now? What is it that God is wanting to do in the middle of your impatience, in your your middle of anxiety and anxiousness? What is God really trying to do in our life right now? What's going on right now? Maybe there's something great he has planned for you. If you're willing to say, you know what, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And whatever you want to do in my life, uh, I'm going to pray and plan. Uh, I'm going to plot. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to do what is necessary in my life because, God, I want you to get the glory. Everything we do around this church is for God to get the glory. Reviving about Pastor Ralph and Pastor Blake. It's about people. It's about God getting the glory with chains falling off. We don't have deaf Bible study every Sunday morning at 1030 just for fun. We're doing it so people's lives can be changed. So God can get the glory on everything that we're doing. You got to let God get the glory in your life. Lady called us this week. Had surgery. Her and her husband. Just her. Not both of them, but her. But it's just her and her husband. And they needed food. So you know what we did as a church? We planned. We prepared. And every night, this I don't think I've even told y'all this. And that little family is getting food every night delivered to their house. You know why? Not about us. We're not patting ourselves on the back because God's going to get the glory. We're testifying that God is going to get the glory out of this. I don't know what God's going to do in that family. I don't know what God is up to. I don't know why they called us, but you know what? God's going to get the glory because we're planning and we're waiting and we're praying and we're trusting God to lead this church into a season of revival. You've got to read Nehemiah. He has got to be the boldest person. Reading, just reading at that King Artaxerxes, can't mess that up too much. He was rough. God put Nehemiah in that most absolute worst condition. But yet he had access to the only person in the world. Nehemiah had access to the only person in the world that had the resources and the ability to get the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. You probably work with somebody or live next to somebody. Oh, my goodness. That they are the only person in the world that could blow a revival up in your workplace. That could turn your whole neighborhood, your whole community upside down. God has placed you in places for a reason. Matter of fact, when you get to work tomorrow, say, God, show me who it is. Who are they? Where are they? Who is the one that will help finance revival in my community? Who is the one that can give us revival here or there or wherever? Who's going to be the one to give us the provisions to excel in the kingdom of God? They're all around us every single day. But we must be patient and we must wait and pray, trust, and plan. You know what this building process is? It's planning. Why God has allowed it to last two years, I have no idea. I text pastor 
I'm getting off on it now because I can't even, I'm not going to finish. I don't know why. And I don't, I don't know why we, we've even went through the things and had storms and had setbacks. I mean, he said it last week. The only ship that had our flooring on it <laughs> was in the Suez Canal last year when that ship got sideways and nobody could pass. Y'all remember that? Our flooring was right there. Ignorant. But in the middle of the process, I've had to learn to trust God. I don't know what he's doing. But I guarantee you this. Mark it. There's a reason for the moment and the date this thing opens. If it would have happened any sooner or any later, we'd have been out of God's timing. This man's not going to lead us to somewhere to, in, in the middle of Cain. It wasn't his plan. This man prays. He heard from God. God gave the man a vision and a word that this is what we needed to do. And we're in the middle of it. It's not going like we planned. But maybe it's not our plan. That's just what I wanted to say. Now get them envelopes and get them things filled out. My God. <laughs> Living for God is the, probably the most rewarding thing. Because God will just show you such unique and powerful things in moments. If you read, and I'm going to challenge each and every one of you. Read Nehemiah. Do yourself a favor. When you get done with that, read Esther. Just read it and understand that God can take ordinary men and women that rightly can feel inadequate, ill-equipped, and unworthy. And God could speak a word to their life and rise them up out of the pages of the Word of God to do great and mighty things. God can speak one word to you in the morning while you're reading your Bible. That can change the whole trajectory of your life. And you can have that one moment where you would say, this is why I'm here. I remember the moment in my life when I realized, you know what, I was created for more. And in the meantime, I've had seasons of waiting. I've had seasons of prayer. I've had seasons where I've had to trust God. It, but it all comes down to knowing I have a job to do. For the kingdom of God. And the seasons that I've been through in my life is allowing me the opportunity to tackle the hard things. God has put you in places in your life right now because he's preparing you to tackle something big for the benefit of others. Jerusalem didn't have any walls or gates for a century. This had led them to a place to spiritually they felt God had walked out on them. And that God has turned his back on them. And that God wasn't even there for them. That they was apostate and they just could not 
get a spiritual grip on what they needed within the city walls of Jerusalem. But after a hundred years, there was a man by the name of Nehemiah that God began to speak to, give resources to, because he had to get back down and rebuild those walls to give purpose and anointing and direction for the future of a city. Because there was going to be a Savior that was going to walk through those gates and pass those walls that was going to die upon a cross. But before he could do it, the walls had to be rebuilt and the gates had to be rehung. I don't know who it is in this place right now, but God has given you a word. He's putting a purpose upon your life. He's putting a vision in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, you better pursue that thing. You better pursue your purpose. You better pursue that calling. I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know who's going to cross your path, but you better pray. You better plan. You better trust God. You better lay it all on the line and say, God, I'm here for you. Let's all stand. I want you to go and read. Y'all, y'all gonna do some reading this week. I don't tell you to go read five times. Nehemiah 2, 10 through 20. And I want you to read the tasks that Nehemiah had to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum it up for you. He had five tools. We read about that. But there was five things he had to do. And I want to run this by you really, really quick. Task number one. When he got to Jerusalem, he had to replenish his resources. Meaning, if you read verse 11, he waited three days. He took some time off. If you want to be successful, there's sometimes you just need to take a nap. He wasn't the only one. Years earlier when Ezra got there, you know what he did? When he got there, he rested. You know what Elijah did under the juniper tree? He rested. You know what Jesus did when he withdrew his disciples? They rested. You, need, you and I need to make sure we replenish our resource on a regular basis. Sometimes you need to stop. You don't need to mow grass. You don't need to go weedy the ditch. You need to sit in that chair, read your Bible, meditate on God, and rest before you do anything. I know the task is monumental. He had an entire wall to build. It was like a mile long. But the first thing he did when he got there was rest. That's a good commandment. I like that. I'm I'm sleepy now thinking about it. Because there will be seasons where you need to rest and assess before you address the mess. Boy, I'll throw this microphone. Boy, I'll throw it. I ain't lying. I'll throw it. Task number two. I waited all day to say that. I I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Task number two, after he recharged, Nehemiah assessed the need. After three days, in the middle of the night, he walked around and he assessed all the damage. 
He went at night because there was enemies. The enemy ain't got to know what you're doing. When you begin to pray, God will cover you. In the middle of your assessment of what you need to do, you ain't got to let nobody know. That's between you and God. He assessed the situation to see what needed to happen in the city of Jerusalem. The third thing, he had to recruit workers. To do that, he identified them. He presented spiritual perspectives. Read it. And he invited them with immediate action. He says this to them once he found the ones that wanted to help. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He gave them motivation. He gave, him direct, gave them direction. And he was able to get the wall rebuilt. Task number four, he inspired confidence in the people. You know how he did that? He told them everything the king gave him. He, said, he told them of the hand of God that was upon him and also of the king's word that he had spoken unto me. He said, you will never guess. We're doing this because this is what God had done. Sometimes you got to let a testimony motivate those that are around you. At the end of the day, that's why you're doing it. Because of what God is doing in your life. The fifth thing, the fifth and last, is that he learned to handle opposition. You can do everything right. But if you cannot handle opposition in your life and you crumble and fall every single time, all because somebody says something to you, somebody hurts your feelings, somebody says something negative about your Bible study or your study group, whatever it is. I'm going to tell you what. Younger, I mean, I, I was just trying the best I could to do what God asked me to do. And I... And, there was a time preaching when I knew I was preaching and I knew it was terrible. But it's hard getting up here. Listen, I'm going to tell you the story. First time I ever preached, I was so scared. Didn't know how scared I was. So after somebody let me listen to the tape. <laughs> tape. Not a track tape. And I kept hearing this little thumping sound. Thump, thump, thump. I was so scared, I remember the microphone hitting me in the chin. I kid you. You thought something was wrong with the sound system. It wasn't the sound system. It was my chin. There was three men that gave them opposition. And they voiced their opinions. They voiced their doubts. And they voiced their negativity over the workers and over Nehemiah. But you know what Nehemiah said to them? Because these three men wasn't even Jewish. They wasn't even Israelites. Matter of fact, they didn't even have no right to the promises of God. Nehemiah told them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Wherefore, we are his servants and will arise and build. But ye have no portion, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. There are people that's going to come into your life. Opposition's going to come. But listen to those voices because it'll be those voices that you know don't even have any right to where you're going. They have no inheritance of what you have. 
You're living on another level. You're doing the work of God. You're doing the work of the kingdom of God. And they have no clue what God has done to get you to where you're at. When God begins to manifest in your life, let them naysayers go. We're going down.